Let me invite you to turn to your Bibles to 1 John, the letter of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We will be focusing on verses 9 and 10. But allow me to read from verse 1 to 10. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 to 10. Please hear the reading of God's word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is a Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Before we hear God's word, let's turn to him in prayer and ask him for help one more time. Oh Lord, we've just prayed and we have sung that you would bless the seed of your word. We ask you that as we are about to hear from the scriptures, as we hear the scriptures being expounded, O oh Lord, prepare our hearts so that our hearts would be a ground, a soil that is ready to receive the truth from your word. O oh Lord, we pray that you may break any hardened ground in our hearts. Please soften our hearts so that where your word will challenge us, where your word will command us, will call us, will force us to see certain truths, so Lord, that we would not resist. Please help us to hear and to be submitted to you. Help me, O Lord, as I teach your word to be faithful, to be diligent. Help me to be clear. O oh Lord, allow that as your word goes forth, that I may decrease and that Christ may increase, that he alone would be glorified as we share in your word this day. So Lord, we thank you for your promise to hear us, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In spite of our much 
hype on technology, we will all agree that we, we as human beings still rely on the testimony of witnesses. For example, in spite of the technology we have, our court system still relies on witnesses, isn't it? If there are no witnesses, what normally happens to a court case? It does what? It collapses. We not only rely on witnesses in such things as judicial proceedings, but even in simple things like a job interview. I know many of us here have written uh, their CVs, and you have sent CVs in different offices, in different organizations. And one of the things that is still there in our CVs is on the last page, we normally have what? What? A list of referees, isn't it? Witnesses of the things that have been said, whether they are true. So that when you apply for a certain job or you go for an interview, you are saying that, yes, I have studied this course, Yes, I have worked here. Yes, I have this experience. And to back it up, there are people in the back, people who are living, people who you can call. We even include their contacts, isn't it? You can call them today. You can text them. You can get to them so that they will say whether what is written is true or not. And it takes me back to a story that happened two years back here in Kenya, where there is this guy who was applying for a certain government job. And uh, this guy had a very interesting CV. You know, he listed all the things he has done, all the places he has worked, um, the experiences, his academics, all those things, the normal things. But then towards the end, he had a list of referees, you know, professor in this university, lecturer in that university, uh, HR in this company, HR in that company. But towards the end of his list of referees was the president of Kenya. Can you imagine that? That this guy had the audacity to put among the people who are his referees the president of Kenya. And when he went to apply for this job, he was asked, do you really know this guy? Yes. Does he really know you? Yes. You can even call him today and he will, he will show whether it's true or not. And they did reach out to the president. And the president knew this guy because he was an ambassador. He had worked for the government and therefore had knowledge. He had interacted with the president. And can you imagine being a HR, uh, a HR head in a certain company, and then this guy writes the president and you call, and the president picks up the phone and he says, yes, I know this guy. Yes, I, uh, he's been an ambassador for Kenya. Yes, he has worked in this place and that place. I mean, what better referee you can have than the president of Kenya, isn't it? I'm sure you're all smiling because some of you are saying, if only I had the president of Kenya in my CV, maybe I will be going places. But do you know, dear brethren, 
that the gospel of Jesus Christ has witnesses. Witnesses who are listed for us. That the great gospel of Jesus Christ is not an invention that was made up. We have a list, a long list of referees, of people who we can go and look at, people who are credible. People who saw Christ, people who touched Christ, people who saw him ascend, and they penned down those truths. But not just people, human beings like you and I, who are witnesses. Not just men like John, the Apostle John who wrote this letter. Not just the Apostle Peter. Not just the Apostle Paul. You know what? Among the list of those people who, or persons, let me say persons, among the persons who are the referee or references to the gospel, the credibility of the gospel, the truth of the gospel of Christ is none other than God himself. Not the president of Kenya, not the president of the World Bank, God himself, Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. Can you imagine that? That God himself speaks of his son, speaks of Christ, and it is recorded for us even today. If we are easily impressed by the CV of a person, by who they know, by who uh, is a referee to them, we should be more, and this is what John will show us, we need to be more excited and believe the gospel and believe and trust in the truth of the gospel because none other than God himself has, in a sense, put his signature that this is true. And so this afternoon, I want us to look at the reality that the gospel of Christ, that our faith in Christ has a heavenly witness, has a heavenly referee, if we can put it that way. It's not just the prophets, it's not just the apostles, it's not just the saints, it's not just our inward reality, because those are some of the things we saw in the last um, sermon, that we do have witnesses of our faith, but then at the last, at the end, John says, here the greatest witness of our faith, God himself. If that will not convince you, I don't know what else will convince you. And so I want us to see at three things about this heavenly witness. Well, I want us to see first of all, from what John shows us, is that the testimony of God about Christ is conclusive. And we see this in verse 9. He says, if we receive the testimony of men. The testimony of God is greater. For, the te for, this, for this is the testimony of God that has been born concerning his son. We accept, we listen to, 
the witness and the testimony of men. The witness of a sufficient number of credible men, men of good character and report, is always admitted in any case and in any court. Even the highest court in any country will admit the testimony of credible men, of a credible, uh, credible character and report. Even um, an interview panel will accept the witness of men who are credible in their character and in their report. We see that even the law of Moses depended on witnesses. Everything was proved and established by two or more witnesses. And the scriptures show us that Christ's work, his person, was testified by men who believed, who saw and who believed in him. We see that the... Um, the person of Christ was testified by men from the beginning of his earthly ministry to his ascension. We have the shepherds who saw. And this is what John is saying. If we accept the testimony of men, here were those shepherds on that past Christmas, if I can put it that way. We have their testimony written for us in the scriptures. We have the testimony of uh, John the Baptist, who said of Christ, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We had the testimony of the Samaritan woman who ran to her village and who told people, Come and see the Messiah. And what did those people do? They followed her, isn't it? And they believed in her testimony. Now, if human testimony may be received and is received, how much more sure, valuable, firm, and true is the testimony of God? The testimony of God in the scriptures with regards to Christ is watertight, it is conclusive. In a sense, it brings the whole argument to an end as to who Christ was. We don't need a higher witness. We don't need a greater witness than God himself. We don't need a higher testimony. God has spoken. The matter is concluded. Look at the testimony of God. The testimony of the Father was essential for Christ's work his earthly ministry. For example, we see the Father speaking three times about Christ. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, during his baptism, here is the picture that is presented to us, that as Christ was being baptized and as he came out of the chilly waters of River Jordan, the people who are there, they record that they had what? And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son 
with whom I am well pleased. God from heaven testified. We see on other two occasions the Father speaking from heaven about Christ. And we need to know that there is no one else in the Bible who Christ speaks, uh, I mean, God speaks in this way. He doesn't say, I am well pleased by anyone except Christ. Look at the account of the transfiguration in uh, Matthew 17 and verse 5. We are told in Matthew 17 and verse 5, and a voice uh, from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then this time there is an addition. And the addition is what? Listen to him. God the Father has spoken. This matter has been concluded. This thing is watertight. This thing is finished. Look at again the Passion, Passion Week in um, John 12 and verse 28 to 30. John 12, 28 to 30. We are told that Christ said, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Verse 29. And the, cro the crowd that stood there and heard it said it had thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. And look at what Jesus says. Verse 30. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. In other words, Christ was saying, the Father spoke. The Father has spoken from heaven to rubber stamp who I am, to rubber stamp my work, to rubber stamp my person, that Christ is a Messiah. God's testimony, as we see in these passages, God's, what, what, what John calls the testimony of God, is that Christ is the only one who pleased him. That Christ is the one we must listen to. That Christ is indeed the Savior of mankind. God was pleased by Christ. This is his testimony from heaven. God was pleased with his assumption of human nature. He was pleased with his perfect obedience to the law. He was pleased with his bearing the penalty and the curse of the law for his people on the cross. He was pleased and he continues to be pleased with his intercession, even today for his people. And then the question goes, are we to wait for a greater testimony? If God himself has concluded this matter, if God himself has stamped this truth, this reality, 
Are we to look aside? Are we to say, well, I'm still awaiting for uh, more truth, more testimony. I'm still awaiting uh, archaeology to prove that Christ is indeed the Messiah. I'm still awaiting for science to prove that Christ is indeed the Messiah. I'm still awaiting historians to debate who Christ was, and then I will make a decision. If God himself, and we shall see this at the end, if God himself has rubber stamped, if he has backed, if he spoke from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Would we, wouldn't we be putting ourselves in a dangerous place to reject it? This testimony of God is not just true about Christ, but it is also true of those who are in Christ. God is well pleased with those who are in Christ because of what Christ did. For those who are in Christ, the testimony is true that because they are in him, because they belong to him, God loves them. That God takes delight in them. That God is at peace with them. And that he graciously accepts them as his own because of Christ. This is the testimony of God. Are you struggling with your sin? Are you struggling to wonder whether you are acceptable before God? I speak to those who are in Christ. Be at peace. Just as God spoke that he is pleased with Christ, he is pleased with those who are in Christ. If we are in him, we are loved by God. That God takes delight in us. That in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our falling short, in many ways, we are loved from heaven. This is a testimony from heaven. This is not the testimony from your pastor. This is the testimony from the scriptures. All who are in Christ are loved of God. All who are in Christ, God delights to call them his own people. What a joy, what a wonderful message we have. What a wonderful reality we have because we are in Christ. But for those who are not in Christ, those who are still living outside of Christ, those who are still looking at Christ and wondering, well, I'm waiting for more convincing. This should be convincing enough. That God has spoken from heaven. The Father spoke from heaven and spoke about Christ. His testimony, his witness is so heavy that it tips any scale in our minds. Do not continue in unbelief. God is far greater than any scientist. God is far greater than any archaeology. God is far greater than any 
university professor who studies history, his testimony must be accepted. Repent of your sins, believe in Christ, and you will be saved. You will be accepted in Christ. Please don't let another day go. Don't let another moment go without having done that, believing the testimony, the conclusive testimony of God. But then secondly, having seen how the testimony of God about Christ is conclusive, it's firm, it's watertight. God spoke it, he said it, it was hard. It must be believed. I want us to see the result of the testimony of God. That the testimony of God about Christ leads to faith in him, leads to faith in Christ. And Paul says, uh, rather, <clears throat> John says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. In other words, those who have accepted this testimony are those who have believed. Or those who have believed in Christ are those who have this testimony. They are those who have possessed this testimony. They are those who have accepted the testimony of God and said, yes, because God has signed off on this. Who am I? Who am I to reject? what God has already signed up to, or he has signed off on. Whenever we give testimony uh, to something, uh, let's say uh, we are giving a testimony in a court, or we are giving testimony in our normal event, our aim is to persuade the judge, the jury, or those who are hearing us to come to a, cons a certain conviction. Whenever we are giving a testimony, it's because we want to bring people to a certain conviction, to change their mind about something. It has an end. We're not just throwing words aimlessly. And the same way, the testimony of God, as John shows us, has an end. It has an aim. It has a purpose. The testimony of God about Christ has an aim and a purpose that is far superior to that of any court. You know, when we give, when we give a testimony before a court of law and our friend has been, has been unjustly accused, we want to give our testimony in the clearest way, in the most vivid way, so that our friend may be released, isn't it? We are not just flippant about our testimony. It has an aim. It has an end. We want this person to be released. We want the judge, the jury, to be, to, to be convinced of their innocence. Well, the testimony of God has a far superior purpose. The testimony of God about Christ is not simply to convince the mind. It is not simply so that we may say, wow, okay, Christ was a historical person. 
okay, Christ really uh, did uh, uh, walk in Palestine those 2,000 years ago. Okay, tick, Christ really did ascend into heaven. That's not the end of God's testimony. The push, the purpose of the testimony of God is that we may repent and believe. It is that men may have their hearts subdued by the fact and by the truth of Christ being the Messiah, being the only Savior of humanity. It is not simply a historical thing that you are convinced of and you can take, and I'm not saying we, we shouldn't be convinced historically, it's important, but then it goes far deeper than our minds. The aim is our heart. Belief. John speaks of those who have this testimony as those who have believed in him. And the word believe in him is a very important phrase to John. Actually, if you read through the Bible, the New Testament, you will realize that John, I think out of 11 times or 12 times that this word believe in him appears, John uses it the most of all the other New Testament writers. And the reason why he does this is because to believe in Christ is something that is far deeper than a mental ascent. It is the heart being subdued to Christ. It is the, 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 the sin that rejects God in our hearts being broken. It is us dying to ourselves and living for Christ. It is the infusion of life and nothing short. While to believe a person, right, we do use that phrase, I believe that person. While to believe a person means no more than to accept and to receive what they say, to believe in a person means to trust his character and everything about him. It, is, it means to be subdued to this person, to give ourselves to this person. It is a life-changing reality rather than simply a mind-changing reality. It is a phrase that represents a relationship with Christ rather than simply assenting, uh, assenting to the truths about Christ. And this is a very important point, that God gave the scriptures through the, through the prophets, through the apostles. You have that Bible in front of you. You have preachers bringing the word of God every Sunday to you. Why? So that you may believe in Christ. It's so that your life may be subdued to Christ. It's so that Christ may be Lord 
over your life. It is a situation where Christ is Savior or is, the, is our Savior or is your Savior who has delivered you from the power of sin and therefore you continue to depend on him for righteousness. But it also means that he is also Lord who owns and controls you. And those two things are very important for believing in Christ. We've just seen how God spoke of Christ and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Not listen to him when it is convenient. Not listen to him when you agree with him. Listen to him. It's a lifestyle of obedience. It is a lifestyle of submission. It is not a one-time thing when you went to the front of the church and you prayed and then you went back home. Or at that time, you, as someone was preached, you became emotional and you went back home. It is listen to him, constantly listening to him, constantly submitting to him, constantly waiting to read from the word of God and see what does my Savior expect of me. Because one of the problems that, again, was happening in, 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 in this church, and um, I don't want to take you back so, so much, but you will find that John talks about sin and a practice of sin. And he warns the people to him, he writes this letter that, listen, you can't say that you are in Christ, that you believe in Christ and continue on in a life of sin. You are not submitted to him. If you are not submitted to him, how can you say that you belong to him? How can you say that you, you, you are part of a force? Let's say you are part of the police force or you are part of Kenya defense forces and you never listen to the people who are in command. When everyone else goes to parade with their uniform, you come with your pajamas. And yet you say, you know what, I am part of this army. And you proudly stand in the assembly ground. You know, someone might wonder, is there something wrong with that guy? Please remove him from the assembly. It's that life of obedience, listening to him, believing in him, trusting in him only for righteousness. No other ground. Are we standing on except Christ? This is why God testifies of his son, that we may believe in him. This great testimony from heaven. I love this, that God, yes, sends men to write the scriptures to testify of who Christ was, but then he also speaks. And he speaks so that we may believe in him. What a wonderful thing. Are we believing in him? Are we trusting in him for our sins? For those who are being weighed by the guilt of your sin? 
Are you trusting in your good works or are you trusting in the Lamb of God who died on the cross for our sins, who said it is finished? Are you trying to get the Father's love and the Father's approval by your own efforts? Or are we depending on Christ, even in our efforts? Not to remove the need for effort, but even in those efforts, are we doing them through Christ? Are we showing that we are believing in him? For those who are still in their sins, are you still looking for another way of salvation, another means that you can be made right with God? And yet God has said, this is the only way in which I will delight in men. For those who repent, for those who believe in my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for those who are submitted to him. Please don't continue on hiding yourself in any other thing. Hide yourself in Christ. So this is the end, this is the aim, that we may believe in him. All that is written about, uh, about Christ, and John also says about this in, in uh, his gospel, that there are so many things about Christ that could not be written in a book, but these have been written so that you may do what? Believe in him, so that he may be your Lord and your Savior. This is the end. Not simply that our minds may tick a certain box. Not only that our minds may say, yes, Jesus was a historical figure. Uh -uh. It goes deeper than that. It goes deeper for us to see that we are sinners. For us to see that we have sinned against God. That we are under God's wrath. And the only way that we can be made right with him is by coming to him through Christ. But then thirdly and finally, as we again ob observe the heavenly witness, the fact that God has given a testimony about his son. Thirdly, I want us to see that the testimony of God about Christ is sadly rejected by some. It is a sad place to end, but it is real that some do not believe the gospel. Some do not believe the word of God. But then John puts a weight. And look at what he says. Whoever does not believe God, he doesn't even say does not believe the apostles. He doesn't believe the Bible. He doesn't believe the scriptures. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Now, think about that. I mean, that's heavy. That to reject the testimony of God who gave the scriptures, who bore witness through his prophets, through his apostles, and even him speaking from heaven, and it is rejected. It is to make God to be a liar. 
And why have they not, why have they made God to be a liar? Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Just as men reject something, things that are true and things that are of value to the shock of others, men reject the irrefutable proof of God's testimony. They throw away God's testimony. They brush aside God's testimony about his son. And John says that by doing this, they make God to be a liar. As John demonstrates to us here, the sin of unbelief is heinous not only because it rejects the truth of our Creator or the truths of our Creator, but in rejecting what God has said is to charge or is to put a charge against the character of God. It is to insinuate that what God has said and promised is not true. That what God has said, what God has promised in the word of God is not true. And if it's not true, then he is a lie. Now let me give an example for us to understand this. For example, it is to insult a chef when you are hungry and you are dying of hunger. And then a chef presents the best of foods before you. I mean, this chef works to prepare the most delicious food. He bakes, he fries, he boils, he mixes sugar, salt, spices, all those things, presents them before you. But then you say, I don't want it. Aren't you insulting that chef? Aren't you saying that maybe there is something you have put in that food? Eh? What have you put in that food? Why are you preparing this nicely? It is to impute malice when you fall into a ditch or into a hole. And a good Samaritan offers you a rope and he tells you, please grab on that rope and I will pull you out. And you say, no. How would you feel? How do you feel when you offer someone help and they reject it? How do you feel when you offer someone a hand and they push it aside? You almost feel insulted, isn't it? I'm sure it has happened to you. Maybe you offered someone help, but they rejected it. You know, someone told you, they shared with you how they, they are broke and how they need help, they need to pay, let's say, school fees or something like that. And you help. And they send, let's say you send them money on M-Pesa and they send it back. How do you feel? You know, you even want to call them and ask them, have I ever done something against you? Isn't it? And we are human beings. And we feel that. How much the God of heaven 
when he offers salvation full and free. When he testifies, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Believe in him. He's the only means of salvation. But then you say, well, not today. Aren't we making God to be a liar? Aren't we imputing malice on God? To reject the testimony of God by continuing in sin. To reject the testimony of God by continuing to depend on our own good works for salvation. To reject the testimony of God by continuing to postpone the day of repentance and belief in the Messiah. To reject the testimony of God by continuing in hypocrisy and in hate. And yet God has laid out his truth for us. is to make God to be a liar. 